We've just entered into a new year. Uh, most of you uh, would like it to be different than the last two years, I think. Okay, maybe some of you liked the last two years. I don't know. Some of you uh, faced uh, some, and you do this every year. You, you come to the new year and you want to make some resolutions. Uh, the rest of you don't even think about it. Uh, last week, as I sat under the preaching of a very wonderful pastor, he talked about resolutions. And he did talk about uh, Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions. So I went and I looked at it that afternoon and, and read through it. And, and I thought, you know, it would be resolution number 71. This would be resolution number 71. We need to add this to Jonathan Edwards. Although he has very profound things to say, we could add this. And folks, if I may... I would suggest that you think about it. What we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks about the word of God and about what Jesus is about to teach the people on that little mountainside. He has a profound uh, message for them. And it's actually a profound message for us as well. It, it is not to be taken lightly. This one thing, though, I want to give you a guarantee. This one thing, it will help with a closer walk with God. If you're truly interested in it, this will do it. This will get you there. And, it, and it's guaranteed that this will happen. Not many things that can be guaranteed in this crazy world, is there? Not many things to be a lot of uncertainty around. But this intimacy with the Savior can be guaranteed if you fulfill what we're going to say in the next couple of weeks. So I'm getting ahead of myself, and I don't want to jump in there. And uh, I'd like you to make that resolution, number 71. Jonathan Edwards did 70 of them, and he read them often. They were not New Year's resolutions, folks. These were how he was resolved in his life every day. He did those things. He carried them out, and, and I believe it enhanced his life with Christ and that he could do some of the things that he did to go to New York City is one of them. I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Uh, and all of the other things that he had to do. So I want to make that proposal. We add to Jonathan Edwards, if that can happen. And to think about that, the 71st resolution. But hang with me. We're going to look at these verses. We're going to try to uncover them that these verses are really a key to successful Christian life. Whether we've had it over the last two because of different circumstances, these will be key to a successful Christian life. I've always, and I think you have as a believer, always wanted to have a good relationship with the Messiah. Why would he save me? Why would he save you? Why would he send his son to the cross? All of those kinds of things. I want to get closer to him. And I believe this is one of those ways that you can do it. As we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, let me give a quick review. We've been away from it for the last three weeks. Quick review. In Matthew 6, 1, where Jesus says this, and that really sets the, the heading or the, of this section. Uh, Jesus is, is going to clearly state it right up front. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Beware. That happens quite often. I've been here for many, many years. I've seen some families try to practice their righteousness before men. 
I've seen individuals try to practice their righteousness before men, and it doesn't go much further. When I talk about families, I know of one family where the kids began to grow up and they said, but you should see my father during on Monday, you should see my father on Tuesday, you should see this, you should see that. It's corrupt. It's corrupt. You don't come here just to be seen. You come here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not just to be with your friends and have a good little fellowship, and that's fine. But it's here for a reason. Worshiping God Almighty. And that's what should be on your heart as you're here. There's a warning here. This warning is not to practice righteousness before men. This uh, warning is strategic for this section. As the Lord gives that same principle throughout the section about practicing your righteousness. When you're giving... Hey, look at how much I'm giving, making noise. If you remember when we spoke about that, uh, making noise into the, uh, uh, at the temple so that everybody could see you're throwing a bunch of money in there or blow your horn or what you're supposed to do when you give is to do it in secret. I've been at a few different churches since we've been away and, and you know what? They do not take an offering. They don't take an offering. They have a box in the back of the, the, the church and people can put... They're offering in that box as they leave or they come or, or when nobody's looking, they can put that offering. Both churches, and I know them fairly, fairly intimately, have had banner years this last year. And you would think with COVID, there's so many people not coming to church. No, they've had banner years. One of them told me that they were able to take care of a $1 million loan that they had because of the extra giving of their people. And you don't even know who did it. That's the way you give. That's the way you give. Then we looked at fasting, if you remember. Uh, we skipped the section on prayer because I knew I couldn't get all of that in in the allotted amount of time. It's the same principle. Not letting everybody know, I'm fasting. Ugh, I'm all worn out because of my fasting, you know. I, I haven't had a good meal and I can't tell you when. All of those kinds of things. You do it in secret, folks. You do it. Not to let everybody know how holy you are. Because, you know, frankly, once you've let everybody know how holy you are, you're no longer holy. You're no longer holy. You do it in secret because, you know what, your Heavenly Father sees you in secret. And He'll give you the reward when it's necessary. Now today we go back. We're going to look at a few of these verses in, the, in this text and and I think you're going to be struck by the in-the-face, matter-of-fact teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. I'm going to read through that. We're not going to get through this whole section. There's absolutely no way I could get through all of this. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. And on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, 
and this is so very familiar to many of us, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation for us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Profound portion of what Jesus is saying to these people on the mountainside. Most have taken that prayer and, and put it into their Christian worship of some kind. You know, at, at times we sing that here at Grace Church. At other churches, they may even say it. There's a warning here, though. And that's what I want to look at first, is this warning. He's going to give us instructions. That is, Jesus is going to give us instructions that when you pray, these instructions are such on how to pray. Many years ago, yet you don't know how to pray. Many of you don't. I'm sorry to say that, but many of you don't know how to pray. Not the way Jesus is talking about here. Are you able to bring your supplications before the Lord? Of course. Are you able to tell them about your, your problems with your cat and your dog and everything else? Sure you can. But are you really bringing the kind of prayers that Jesus wants you to be praying? That God wants you to be praying. When you pray, there's a certain expectation here, folks. Jesus doesn't say, if you're going to pray, doesn't say, you know, next week when you pray. He says, when you pray. So there should be a regular amount of time to be praying. When you pray. Jesus could not. And I got to say this before going to the cross. He could not have imagined a follower of God, a follower of the gospel, to be a prayerless follower of God. He could not imagine that. But there are people who consider themselves Christians who are prayerless. I think that's inconceivable, but that's the, that's the truth. That's, that's the God's honest truth. Of course, pastors always say the truth, right? So many believers struggle in the area of consistent, God-oriented, God-focused, God-praising prayer. They miss out. Jesus warns, do not be like the hypocrites. He's warning them against hypocrisy here. We're not into the prayer yet, but he's warning them against hypocrisy. You see, the hypocrite is the one who wears a mask. And uh, if you find it unique that they put on a mask for this person, and they put on a mask for another person, they put on a mask for another person. He says, don't be like that. In other words, and we're not talking about the masks of today, folks. <laughs> I just want you to know that. I'm not saying anything about those masks. Please. But don't take that mask and put on the other one when you're in a certain situation. Be who you really are. Be who you really are. There are many different kinds of hypocrites. The hypocrite is a kind of a person who may even come to the fellowship. They, they, uh, but if you take that same person, you put them in their office, they, what? 
They can't even imagine that person in the office being a Christian. Or maybe even in the home. How can that person say they're a Christian when this is what is going on in the home? Through a few of the verses here. But there are two warnings that Jesus gives. Two warnings. Two warnings of what not to do. You know, it's interesting. In some of the better teachers, they start with what not to do first. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Don't do this in your prayer life. That's what he's saying. Don't do this in your prayer life. These warnings are are given to turn our prayer from selfishness to selflessness. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about his people. You know, maybe he gave us a command to love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and to love others. It doesn't say anything about loving you, yourself. There's no command there. And I hear that once in a while. Well, I don't know if I can do that because I don't really love myself. Get over it. You already do. <laughs> you already do. So the first thing here that we see in, in, in Matthew 6 is that person a hypocrite. He calls that person a hypocrite. This is the person who makes their selfish desire to be seen by others, to be recognized as godly because they come to to pray and they pray often. They're not thinking about sitting there, kneeling there, praying there, speaking to the creator God. They're not thinking about, I'm entering into the throne room of grace. I'm, I'm praying to the God who created this universe. No, oh, I wonder if they're watching me. I wonder if they see me. I, I want to be recognized as, as being holy. Jesus is explaining that the hypocrites, and basically and, and significantly he's talking about the Pharisees, but we can all be at some point in our life. The Pharisees in particular have this act of prayer. And they would do it before others. And, and, and they wanted to show their incredible piety. My goodness. How false that was. How false that was. They were wanting people to focus on them, not on God. Not on Yahweh. They were more interested in what others thought about them. And what God thought about them. I'm just going to mention this one book by, um, by Ed Welch. He says, uh, what do they think about me? This is the name of the title of the book. What do they think about me? And why do I care? But so many of us care what people think about us. They care about how we deal with our children. They care about how we do everything in our life. Why do we even care? I used to tell my children, don't people think about you. Be worried what God thinks of you. That's much more important. However, these Pharisees, they are and were a fraud. They were phonies. They were doing these things to be noticed and receive some kind of adulation, some kind of recognition of being this profound character. But it was all a falsehood. There was nothing there. It was shallow. It was like walking on thin ice. And boom, you're going to fall through that thing. It says here, you are not to be like the hypocrites. The grammar here makes this especially important. The grammar here points out something. It's in the imperative future, meaning it's a command for everyone. 
And it's supposed to be carried to the forward. It's supposed to be carried throughout your whole life. It's not just for today, but it's for always. Forwards into the future. Not just now, but forever in your life you should be doing this. If you claim to be a child of God, you are not to pray hypocritically. I wonder if they're watching me. I wonder if they see me. You are not to be bringing selfish desires for recognition into God's presence. Sometimes you wonder when a pastor is praying, is this adoration of God? And I'm not talking about pastors here at Grace Community Church, but I've heard others. Is this really adoration of God or is he just practicing some new words that he has or something that he read in a, in a theology book or something like that? It becomes disturbing to my heart when I hear those kinds of things. Is he really worshiping God? In prayer, are you talking to God? To God. Not those listening. That's who you should be talking to. To God. Not to those who are listening. It's simple. It's simple. This kind of person wants respect. This kind of person wants admiration of man. He wants to be known as a man of prayer and to be thought of as holy. That's what the Pharisees wanted, and and sometimes that can happen even in our own life. He believes this will garner him respect. I want them to respect me. He's not so sure that he will get it from God. That's the problem. Because God knows his inner heart. God knows what's going on in there. Therefore, he takes whatever he can. If he can get a slap on the back or, boy, you are really holy, he'll take it. Take it. He prays in public, whether on the street corner or loudly, to be renowned amongst the people. You say, well, why would he be praying out on the street? Well, that can happen. You see, when you're unsure about your relationship with God, I guess you're going to take whatever you can get. You're going to take whatever you can get. So the question comes, and we need to answer some of these questions, and and I, I need to make sure that we're perfectly clear. The question comes, are we not to participate in public prayer? Friends, Jesus did not condemn public prayer. Jesus does not condemn public prayer. He condemns the use of public prayer to be noticed by others. So it now becomes a hard issue, doesn't it? Where is my heart? Where is my heart when I am praying? Am I praying selfishly? Am I praying selflessly? Am I praying to adore the the king of kings, the the master of the universe, the almighty God that, that created everything? Or am I looking out for me? I want to give you just a short list of some folks in the Bible who prayed publicly. And there was nothing wrong with them praying publicly. Moses, Daniel, Ezra, Jesus prayed publicly. Yes, Jesus. And he was seen by his disciples. His disciples were also seen in prayer. Throughout the book of Acts, you see them very often gathering together. There was even one time, they're praying for Peter's release from jail. He knocks on the door to be let in, and they go, oh, Peter's at the door, but they couldn't believe that it was Peter. So they shut the door and went back to praying. I mean, come on. You're just praying for that. You should be taking, uh, taking advantage of it. It, it happened. 
In Luke 11, 1, you don't need to turn there. Lord, teach us to pray. That's what his disciples say to him. Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples, speaking of John the Baptist. They wanted to learn. They wanted to know this is, this is something I need in my spiritual life, in my walk in this life. I need to learn how to do this. Friends, I can tell you there was a time when false public prayer sent me to the knee of my heart. And I spoke to God like I have never spoken to God before. It it actually came up. (laughs) uh, We were talking about it uh, over the holidays. It was about 20 years ago. It was after 9-11. And I was in an airport in Hyderabad, India. Five men pulled out prayer rugs, ritual prayer, not God-honoring prayer. They got into the Muslim position of prayer while waiting to get on board the same plane that I was about to get on board. And of course, I'm running in my mind, wait a minute, 9-11, New York City, they had five guys on the plane. Washington, D.C., they have five guys on the plane. I'm about to get on the plane with five guys. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, should I, should I change? Well, no, but I had to get to Mumbai because I had a connection there to get home. I like coming home. <laughs> Thoughts went wild. And I just took it before the Lord there on, in my heart. I, I knew what the Lord was going to do the whole time. He was going to say, get on board. At 30,000 feet, you're closer to heaven anyway. <laughs> Together in prayer. Or they would just pray wherever they were. It it happened quite often, actually. No matter where they were. They would stop what they were doing, and they would pray. It would be at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. Some of those men would know the busy street corners. And they'd get to the busy street. Oh, it's 3 o'clock. I need to pray. You know, with their hands uplifted, and they're speaking out loud. And all the people are running around trying to get their business done, and... Oh, he must be a really holy man. That's what Jesus is speaking against. That's what Jesus is speaking against. You see, they would, these men would turn towards the temple and they would pray like they've never prayed before. Some would try and place themselves in those prominent corners or, or maybe in the entrance to the synagogue, whatever it was. They wanted to be recognized men. Do you know you also had Pharisees who used to walk like this and they wouldn't walk in the street because they didn't want to lift up their eyes to look upon a woman. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you know the time in Israel, they were clothed in every portion of their body except their little face, okay? But that's what they did because they wanted to be seen as holy men. Self-righteousness is rampant there. They wanted people to say, what holy men you are. You are not to be like the hypocrites, Jesus says. Hypocrites are focused on self, not the glory of God. Hypocrites are focused on self, not the adoration of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hypocrites are focused on their self-righteousness and not on the exaltation of God. It, it really is bothersome to see those kinds of things, but that's the way it is. We took a trip to Israel um, 
I don't remember how many years ago. It took actually a couple of them. We get to go down to the Wailing Wall. I don't know how many of you have ever been to the Wailing Wall, but they put their prayers in the wall there, and you get to see them do that. But we got to take a little trip off to the side where they have a synagogue, okay? And the men there, and and these, I mean, I, I think they're doing it for right reasons. I don't know. They're not, you know, out there in the middle of everything. And they just stand there, and they keep praying, and they keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. What does that mean? They're more holy than the other Jews? They're more holy than those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ? You are not to be hypocrites. You see, they are about me. What does everyone think about my actions? That's false religion. That is false righteousness. That is something, folks, that we all need to work on, in a sense. These hypocrites generally pray the same prayer at the same time of day, in the same way, over and over again. They said the same thing. When I was a a little guy, this is many centuries ago, uh, I was in the altar boys. Um, A matter of fact, uh, I I actually like doing all of that stuff like yeah, I'm not going to tell you everything, but uh, in the Alder Boys, in the fifth through eighth grade of elementary school, you get to do this. And you, when I started, it was in Latin. Do you know I did all those prayers and all of the responses to the priest in Latin? Hey, you know the problem is? In the eighth grade, they went to English. And I went, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I can't learn all that in one year. Why bother? But I was an altar boy, and I had to learn it. You see, you perform the, the mass or in Latin, you do this year in, year out, and you're not even thinking about what you're doing. And in a sense, that is exactly what the priest is doing. He's not even thinking about what he's doing. He's reciting this thing in Latin, and there's, there's nothing behind it. It's not adoration of God. I was reading a story not too long ago. There was a priest who got up in the pulpit, and he did something a little different. He read from the book of Hebrews. I'm actually going to turn there, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Just how this was. And in Hebrews chapter 10, he read this in verse 10. He said, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. And, and he stood there behind that altar and he looked at people and he said, we don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to do this anymore. It's once for all. We don't have to keep worshiping and, and doing these, these mechanical things here and not because he's already done it. He's taking care of our salvation. I, I, I'm, I'm reading this. My son-in-law actually gave me the, the book. And I'm reading this. I'm going, yeah. If only more would read that and realize they're worshiping God. They're not just doing some kind of an act in front of people that you do over and over and over and over again. Some of those priests would do mass two and three times a day. 
As an older boy, sometimes I would do, I would have to be there one or two times uh, a day. When it came to uh, um, uh, Easter time, you know, uh, Lent, I was there almost every day and not even knowing what I was doing. There was no worship going on there. You see, when you memorize something wrote, it's easy to repeat it and, and not have to think about God. You just repeat it. And you know, I'm not thinking about God. You do it over and over and over again. You don't have to think about what God has done and how he's taken you out of the world, how he snatched you from hell. All of you don't have to think about it when you do things over and over and over again. Back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. But when you pray, do so in secret. The actual reason for prayer is that you communicate with God. The actual reason for prayer is that you adore Him. Prayer is communion with the Almighty. Uh, we, we can't think lightly about this. That is so significant, folks. God is giving you the opportunity to come before him. He's allowing you into the throne room of grace. To him. Prayer is communion with the Almighty. Next week, <clears throat> we'll get into the actual content of the prayer, but today... We need to get our heart to understand what prayer actually is. There is a need and necessity for us, all of us who are believers, to come before our creator, to come before our redeemer, to come before the one who has provided all that we have. You know, we say in the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. You know, we don't think about that much as, as Americans. Um, but in the, that culture, there is a reason to pray for that. I've been to some of these countries where we have our missionaries, and some of those folks needed to have prayer for their daily bread, especially India, because they didn't know whether they'd have it or not. The expectation from Jesus Christ himself is that you want to communicate with the Almighty and that you are communicating with the Almighty. You want to and that you are communicating with the Almighty. But I ask this question, and I just put that out there for your hearts. But are you? But are you? I ask that question because I believe most Christians find that this particular aspect of their Christian walk, of their walk with God, to be the most difficult uh, of Christian activities. It's easy to go to fellowship. It's easy to show up at church. It's it's easy to come uh, for the evening service and all of the other things that we do, maybe even picking up your Bible and reading it. But to sit down, kneel down, whatever it is, to come before the Almighty and, and spending time there without the needs and necessities of life calling you, oh, you got to get to work because you got this problem. You, oh, the kids are screaming, you got to get to this issue. You got this going on. How, how can I spend this time? I, I love Martin Luther. Not, not only for the, the Reformation part that he had to play, 
But he, he wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I got a busy day today. Let me spend three times, three hours in prayer. I'm not, I'm not advocating that any of you do that because then you'll come in here glazed eyed. But that's what he would do. That's how much he wanted to be with his creator. That's how much he wanted to be with his savior. What does Jesus tell us? Get into that secret room, that hiding place, so to speak. Go on with him. That's something that you, you want to do and you, and you want to do it quickly and you want to do it often. They do not know how to approach God, the hypocrites. They do not. And sometimes we don't know how to do that because we don't know what to say. And we can give a list of things that we would want to have happen. A few years ago, I was counseling with a fellow. And I asked him about his prayer life. You know, I, I want to get to know the person. I want to, you know, who, who are they? What do they do? I asked him about his prayer, prayer life. He said, oh, I, I pray often. Can you describe often to me? I, I'd like to hear it. What, what does often look like? Describe that. Give me some idea of often. He finally put his head down, but a little embarrassed, and he said, uh, I pray at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Really? Friends, God wants more. God wants more. He knows that you're thankful to be able to eat, but God wants more. He wants intimacy with you. That's what he wants. He wants to have communion with you, his redeemed, his children, because it's going to be our father. You are his children. And he wants that. You need not pray as, as the Jews did at specific times of the day. No, no, it's not necessary. But a holy, alive communication of life with the father. What does it say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? I'm, I'm, that's out of memory. Pray always. I can't do that. I've got to talk to my boss. No, no. It means to have the attitude of readiness to pray at all times. And you know what? When you do that, you found your secret room. You found your secret room. Go into the inner room. That's what he's going to say here. Friends, God wants more. He wants you in that inner room. Close the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. Intimate, quiet, cherished time with our God. Wow, go close to him. It's a special time, folks. It's a special time. Just being there is the blessing that you need. But what if I don't have an inner room? You know, some people are going to say, well, I don't have an inner room. I live in an apartment with three other guys. (laughs) Yeah, it's a nice excuse. The idea is not so much seclusion, but there is no distraction a place where you are holy and completely have your thoughts on God. That's where you need to go. I don't know that many of us have those kinds of rooms. I mean, if I open up a closet door, there are other things already in that closet. I, I know they're pretty crowded from top to bottom. As in all the various examples that Jesus has given... 
us. It is always about the heart. Isn't that what he's talking about here? Go to the inner most place of your being, your heart, and spend that time with him, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Go to that most inner place where where you can be without a phony face on. Say, God, you know me. You know my failures. I want to grow more intimately with you. That's your secret place, folks. Because God knows you. God knows what you're doing, what's going on in your heart. May I ask you to turn to Psalm 139. I, I love David. David's a man. He, he's, he fails. <laughs> he, he messes up. Um, but he gets back each and every time. If, it, if you know this psalm, it's about the omnipresence and the omniscience of God. God knows him everywhere. He even says in here that God knew him when he was in his mother's womb. I didn't know my kids when they were in their mother's womb. I had no idea if it was a boy or a girl. But God knows you when you're in your mother's room and he died, womb. And, uh, <laughs> only I know when you're in the room. And, and, and here he is, seeing the omniscience, omnipotence, om, omnipresence of God. And he stops in verse 23 towards the end there. And he says, search me, O God. Search me, O God. Uh, Wait a minute, folks. He already declared that God knew him in his mother's womb. No, folks, he's he's asking God to take his heart because that's the next words out there. And know my heart. I want you to know me. I want you to know my weaknesses, my frailties. I want you to know how I stumble and fail. God, but I love you. I love you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Take away in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What David is frankly asking for is that God would eliminate all his unrighteousness. Take this away. We have that battle that goes on, folks. The flesh and the spirit. And that's what you're asking for. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See my way with you. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And he says this, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. The second warning from Jesus about our selfishness, you find something that you are happy with uh, and you go back to the Lord time after time after time saying the same thing. This is especially is, is a caution for the rote practice of some people when it comes to prayer. They say the same thing. They don't recognize the greatness of God. They they don't recognize the uniqueness of God. They don't recognize the power of God. For you uh, former Roman Catholics, you remember the days of the rosary. You have these beads, you know, and on the beads, by the way, that came from Muslim 
uh, in, uh, instigation. You see the, the, the rosary there, and, and what do you do? You say, Hail Mary, over and over and over. And, oh, you have a glory be once in a while to wake you up. But that's what you have all the time is Hail Mary. Uh, the privilege of carrying the Lord Jesus Christ, but she's not the fourth person of the Trinity. Vain repetition over and over does not bring you closer to God. You need to engage your mind. That's why I say you, the heart and the mind are the same instrument. If I, I, I know we have a brain and all of those kinds of things, but it's that same kind of thing. You need to engage your mind and make sure that you're thinking about those things as well. Saying grace at your meal becomes meaningless, folks, when you do not engage the mind. Well, we uh, once in a while watch this TV program. All of you are going to know which one I'm saying, that if you watch it, where they have a meal, a family meal, and they'll ask somebody to give the grace, and it's always the same thing. Bless us, our Lord, for these I gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty. And I'm going, man, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. Vain repetition. You need to engage your mind. You don't want it to be meaningless. You see, frankly, there is a danger when repeating the Lord's Prayer that we repeat it without thinking the actual words. And that's the warning I want to give you before we get there. We could give you the Lord's Prayer. You could memorize it. Many folks have memorized it. But when you say it and you, uh, without thinking about it, I mean, just to begin, pray then in this way, our Father, there should be a pause there in your mind and your heart. He would take me as one of his children? What in the world? My mother didn't even want to take me as one of her children. (laughs) Why? Why? Our Father, who art in heaven, it certainly puts us in different places too. So there's a danger. Prayer that we repeat it without thinking about the actual words. We're going to give some suggestions next week of some instruments that you can use with regards to prayer. This prayer of our Father, um, by the way, it, I may even say it next week, probably will, because it's called the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer because it's teaching them how to pray. This prayer is not some mantra to to be repeated without engaging the mind. Make sure you're thinking about what you're saying. And we'll have more on that next week. Now, that's the second, the repetition. The thoughtless babbling is not what God wants This kind of person is not even able to think about who they are speaking to or what this occasion is or or why was it even prompted. The Jewish people had a specific thing to pray. It's called the Shema. If you've ever been in a Jewish home, and I've been in quite a few of them actually because the business I used to be in was a 
Jewish-run business. But on the side of the doorpost, they'd have the Shema there. They would touch it, you know. I mean, it was just a ritual that they would do all the time. Let's turn there. Matter of fact, let's see, because there's nothing wrong with this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. And that's the Lord, or the, the, the Yahweh is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. By the way, you can see how that was transferred into the New Testament. For us, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. Folks, this is not just something that you add to your life. It is your life. It is your life. What you do should be revolving around God and his creation. His redemption. These words I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they they have these things on their cells, phylacteries, and they have them also hanging from them as well. You shall have those frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house, which I was talking about before, and on your gates. Folks, recognize God all the time. Somebody once asked me, so what do you do for devotions? The whole of life is devotion. The whole of life is devotion. I don't need to set 30 minutes for my children. has saved us. Repetition, hopefully with the right heart attitude. If you read that, you pray that, that's fine. Live it. But remember Psalm 78, where where the psalmist then condemns the people for not doing that, and their children walk away. One generation to the next doesn't even know what happened. They don't even know about God. Because the parents didn't pass it on to the children. It's not up to the church, folks. Uh Uh-uh. I heard that a few times in my early days here at Grace Church. They blame the church for not getting their children saved. Nah, uh, uh, uh. Folks, it's not even up to you. But be faithful in your parenting, passing on all that you have. Prayer without a doubt is the highest human activity we could actually ever have. It's better than going to Magic Mountain. It's better than getting married. Uh, I'm sorry. It's better than getting married. I I want you to hear that, okay? Even though you only have five days left. It's the highest human activity. Prayer is when man comes face to face with God, his creator and redeemer. How could you not want to do that? How could you hesitate to do that? Oh, I only got 10 minutes. Folks, take the 10 minutes. Whatever it is. Beloved, when you pray, your very soul connects with God Almighty. Prayer is the ultimate test of loyalty to God. 
It's the ultimate test of loyalty to God, not coming to church on Sunday. It proves in the confines of your heart the infectious relationship of the sinner to the Savior. May we grow in the grace of prayer, and that's what we need to do. Grow in the grace of prayer and honor our great God for all that he has done. None of us deserve it. Remember that. Let me close in prayer. And see you next week when we go through the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. Father God, we love your word, Lord. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It continues to encourage our hearts, Lord. We're grateful for it. We're grateful for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We don't deserve him, but you have done it, Lord, because you love Dear God, as we go throughout this day, as we hear our pastor preaching this uh, second service here, Lord, that we become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, who loved to pray, who loved to honor his father. And we pray this in your name. Amen.